0: Well, we named him Malachi after the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, um, and his name means "my messenger." He never met a stranger; so inquisitive, would talk to anybody. And
1: that was him from day one. I mean, that that's never changed. Even till he took his last breath, he was always that way. He, Malachi loved sports, and he loved soccer. And at night, he started to complain that he's like, "Dad, my leg hurts." So I went to a friend who, you know, has a clinic here and they got finished and the doctor came to the door and he just, you know, he knocked and it's that moment you don't want as a parent where he's like, Hey, I need you to come talk to me. So I went down to the office and sat down and he, he just looked at me and he said, there's two to three small masses in the base of his spine. We need you to uh, take him to Atlanta today. But that Saturday morning they, they had about it's about two and a half almost three-hour surgery and he just said like the likelihood of this being cancer is pretty high
0: Mm. so that was a very hard moment
1: I mean not to just say it as it is but the average lifespan was 17 months Mm. he was in the hospital for 45 days and He just immediately, when you go back and you start looking at kind of some of the stuff that he wrote down, Malachi could have just said, like, I'm done. February 2nd, 2019, I said, just let me die. That's what I said. There's no point in laying in a bed doing nothing. My dad said, I'm alive probably today still because I have a story, even at age 12. I have a testimony. As parents... You can encourage your kids to do something. But in that situation, he had to make a decision. And he chose how he was going to walk it out. The
0: Lord has given me so many chances to share the gospel, and I'm going to take every chance I can. The world needs Jesus. I want to step my game up because this thing, cancer, it can kill me. So I need to tell as many people as I can Every day, Monday through Friday, when we would go for radiation, he would have to be transported in an ambulance. And so every day we had two new people that we spent about four hours with. And Malachi shared the gospel every day (laughs) to those new people. I mean, he would lay in the back of that, on that stretcher, that ambulance. So where are you from? And what do you do? But Malachi was just so bold. And I think... That was kind of one of the gifts of cancer was that it really brought an awareness of life and death. I mean, you get a cancer diagnosis and it's what do you have to lose? I mean, you know, like really, what I mean, what do you have to lose? The body of believers at our church is amazing. We rolled out the Who's Your One initiative and that was one of the things that fueled that list.
1: He just literally went through the list of people that he knew that needed Jesus and I, I'm just going to write them down. I'm going to fight for them. And gosh, for him, he, it's, it just took it seriously because he, he saw the finish line in front of him.
0: The end of August, we went, uh, for a scan and it had spread to his brain. And so our prayers shifted from, Lord, sustain him, you know, to cheering him on to the finish line. And so when he, when he took his last breath, I just remember thinking, like right now he's with Christ.
1: Yeah, we, we hung on to that passage of in the garden where he's like, take this cup, please take this cup. Um, but if it's your will. And so we just, we just drink of whatever the Lord gave us and trusted that the end would be for His glory.
2: We're in this series entitled Who's Your One? And isn't that an inspiring story? I mean, I just isn't that great? Sorry, we don't have any Kleenexes for you, Eric. It's just it's nice to have other people uh around us so tenderhearted. This has been an emotional service already. I, I tr- trust me, it's not gonna it's not gonna get better. Uh I sent out an email blast this, this last week, I guess it was Friday or Saturday, just basically along the lines, isn't it wonderful? When you finally do something you've always wanted to do, and then after you do it, like you dive in head first into the pool for the first time, isn't it true that you have this feeling, at least for a moment, of, wow, that was great, and why did I wait so long to do that? I don't know, but it's it's a great feeling when you dive in or you kiss your wife for the first time or whatever, hopefully, you know, uh if you're married, you, you've... Done that. Uh, but when you, when you kind of dive in and you take that chance or that risk and you press ahead even though you're a little bit nervous or something and isn't it just wonderful when it happens? It's kind of, it's exhilarating. It's, it's a rush. And then that's how it is when you share your faith for the first time for those of us who've done that. I, I got this uh, interesting uh, information concerning a uh, Timex just done about a month ago and it was, they, they'd done this series of, uh, questionnaires they had sent to people and, and they, they asked the question, how long does it take you to do X, Y, or Z? How long does it take you under these circumstances or in, in this situation to respond? And here's what they discovered from their research. On average, we will wait only 13 seconds before we honk at the car in front of us if, if they're not moving at a green light, which I think that's three times way too long. But on average, 13 seconds. On average, it takes about 26 seconds for someone to take a seat from someone else once they've left it. On average, it takes about 45 seconds to tell someone to keep it down if they're talking too loudly on their cell phone. On average, we will wait only 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant that we really like. On average, it takes us about 20 minutes before we will leave if our blind date has not shown up yet. And on average, we will wait only 21 minutes for everyone to show up at the Thanksgiving dinner before we just dig in and forget about them. That's what we do. When something irritates us, when there's an environmental issue that gets under our skin... We don't wait around and let life sort of sort itself out. We will take control. We will intervene. We will do something if we notice that something is not right because we don't like to wait on things to just get fixed on their own. Now what's really interesting is while we're like that in general, when it comes to believers, we will wait a very, very, very long time for the lost to just somehow get found without our intervening at all. We will wait and we will wait and we will wait for unbelievers to just sort of eventually become believers without us doing any intervention whatsoever. Uh, Lifeway did a survey, just just, uh, I think, just three or four months ago, and they discovered that 80% of people who attend church once a month so they're relatively active churchgoers at the very least, 80% of these people say that they feel that they have a personal obligation to share their faith with other people. Now, I wish 100% of people in churches believe that, but of the 80% who believe that they have a personal obligation to share their faith with someone who's lost, only 48% of that group has ever shared their faith with someone, ever. Now, does that strike you as a little strange? We will wait no longer than 13 seconds to honk at the car in front of us, and we're leaving if we don't get a table within 13 minutes. But for virtually half of all active church members who really do believe they have an obligation to share their faith, half never, ever, with anyone, share the good news of Jesus, ever. Uh, It's not just that we will wait for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or for a few years or a few decades. We'll wait an entire lifetime before we will ever do what we know what it is that we really want to do. Now the good news in all this, and there is really, really good news, the good news is Jesus is very patient and the good news is Jesus changes things and the good news is you are already right now doing something You may not know this, but you're already doing something that can turn things around rather quickly for you and for the people around you and that can turn this church around. You're already doing what you need to do with one with one minor itty bitty adjustment needed. You're already the good news is you're already praying most of you every day all the time. This is true. Uh, Pew Research says that the average American Christian prays. So this is 68% of American Christians. You don't even have to go to church a lot. You can just be self-designated. I think I'm a Christian. I, you know, I believe in higher power. I call myself a Christian. 68% pray every day, sometimes several times a day. Another, I think, 12, 13% pray at least once a week. So I'm assuming that those of you here, you pray at least every week. Probably most of you are praying every day, sometimes several times a day. So the good news is all you have to do is do what you're already doing with a minor, itty-bitty, teeny-tiny adjustment. As you pray every day, pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. It's really not very complicated at all. Uh, for the last 25 days now, over, 30, over, over three weeks since the first, the staff and I, we've been praying together through this Who's Your One prayer guide. And it's so simple. I want to give you an illustration of how simple this is. So this is straight out of day one. And for some of you, this is your day one mo- moment. You might say, hey, I, I want to do this. I want to get started. Well, good. You can do your day one right now. Here we go. I want you to read this scripture out loud with me. Okay? John fourteen six. Here we go. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's the verse, and now here comes the prayer. Now, some of you, you don't have your one yet, and some of you are thinking, I don't know that i even want to pray for my one. Well, okay, we'll talk about that. But just for now, imagine that you have one person in your life who means a lot to you. A parent, a child, a grandchild, a neighbor someone at work, a co-worker, maybe the person that comes to your mind is an enemy and the Bible says pray for your enemies. I don't know who your one is, but just imagine that you have a one. Who would that one be? Even if you don't have that as your one, just imagine you have a one and and here's how you might pray for that one. And and we're going to pray this out loud. There's going to be blanks that come and I want you to insert that name. Don't say it out loud. You can just say the first name in your head or the letter or whatever, but I want you to pray this prayer out loud just to see how easy this is and I'm going to mention Joe specifically and in case you're wondering who's Joe he's not my one so don't be guessing who that is okay here we go we're going to pray this out loud God I know there is only one way to salvation Jesus is clear he is the only hope for a lost and dying world and that includes Joe his or her salvation depends on acknowledging Jesus who is who he says he is and he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in Joe's life today to point Joe to faith in Jesus when the opportunity arises and help me make it clear there is no other way to be saved. See how simple that was? Wasn't that, wasn't that incredibly easy to pray for that one person? Now, Some of you, I know, you're wondering, well, does that do any good? Like, really? Uh, you know, we, we read a thing together, and I guess I was talking to God, and some of you, like, no, you really were, but does that make a difference? Because we all hate to waste our time. That's why most of us in this room, on average, only watch four hours of TV every day. That's, we just don't want to waste our, our time. Uh, and so you're just wondering, is this a waste of time? Uh, is this really doing anything? And the answer is, it is not a waste of time. It is really doing something. Prayers like that, especially on a regular basis, make all the difference in the world. And and some of you are thinking, okay, Ernest, back that up. Prove it. Demonstrate it. Okay, I'll at least begin to demonstrate that. Thank you for asking for proof. I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. This is what the Bible tells us, at least in one place. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too. That is, don't just pray for yourselves. You got to pray for us because we're assuming that if you're praying for yourself, you ought to be praying the same thing for us too. And here's what Paul says, you ought to be praying for me, which implies this is kind of how you ought to be praying for yourself at the very least, that God may open a door for our message. See, it's not your message. It's not my message. It's not their message. It's all of our message. We we devote ourselves to prayer because we have a message that we all need to get out because it's all of our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, because we have a message that we need to get out into the world and into people's lives. May God bless the redeemer's word. You may be seated. Now, our prayer... For the message of Jesus Christ to advance does matter. It does make a difference. Not only does the Bible teach this much, but we also have some rather stout and, I think, objective support. And I'm going to give it to you right now. This is from a book that is entitled Dangerous Intersections by Jay Dennis and Jim Henry. And here's what they write. Prayer changes things. That's what a church in Phoenix discovered when the pastor asked members to randomly choose 80 people from the telephone book. He then requested daily prayer for each person for 90 days. At the same time, he asked members to choose another 80 names from the directory. But the second list was simply laid aside and nobody prayed for those people. Okay, you get the picture? 80 names being prayed for, 80 names not. After 90 days, members called all 160 people on the lists, asking them whether they would allow Christians to visit them to pray for them. Which, by the way, I just have to say, it is so wonderful and encouraging to a pastor for the congregation to simply do something, even if it's kind of crazy, simply because the pastor asked, would you do this with me? Isn't that great? How many of you right now would say, Ernest, you can ask me whatever you want and it's done. Those of you at home, all the hands just went up all all around the, the congregation. It was fantastic. Uh, that's what's going on here. It sounds a little weird, but hey, we're going to play along. Let's try this for a season of time. So they did it for 90 days. The amazing result, says Alvin Vandergrind of the American Lighthouse Movement, was this. Only one person on the list of people who did not receive prayer was prepared to allow Christians to visit. One out of the 80. said, okay. Whereas 69 of the 80 people for whom the church members prayed were prepared to allow Christians to visit and 45 even invited them into their homes, offered coffee and named special prayer requests. That happened. These are people that nobody even knew who these people were and they just prayed for these random people and all of a sudden the, the, the results are phenomenally different, way substantially different than the group of people for whom no prayer was offered. Prayer makes a difference. We don't often see that it makes a difference because here's what we often do not see. We don't see slow progress. What looks slow to some may seem rather fast to others, but we are such immediate results people, we don't notice. I appreciate all of you praying for Gina. I really do. And, and, and we're tracking things. She writes down, you know, daily how things are, are going in response to this much and this. I believe that she's getting better and we're very grateful for that. But it's, it's slow. But you know, improvement over three months or six months to, to totally normal would be light speed fast to somebody who's stuck. Or regressing. I, I went and saw, uh, you know, Martha today and she has inoperable brain cancer. Such a wonderful, lovely person. Very strong and, and kind. Those of you that know her, she, she always, she always has this little smile that's hidden underneath whatever her look is as if she's laughing with you or at you. I can't always tell, but she's just so fun to be around in a very dry sense of humor. Just really an enjoyable person. But so I go and visit her, and and she's regressing because it's inoperable brain cancer. She knows the Lord. There's still a ground note of hope and love and joy. But sometimes you have to see the contrast in order to notice the difference. And we will say one prayer, one time off the cuff, and then we quit, and we don't even give progress a chance. Oftentimes, I told you I was I've been, been in this. Season of prayer with the staff, and already we're seeing things change. I won't mention specifics, but but we mentioned we prayed for someone in particular, and uh, and sure enough, God sent someone across this person's path. It was astounding. I, I I told this story before when I was a when I was a in the youth group. Actually, I was a senior. I remember this one camp that we went to, and we were just praying for everybody, all these other cabins and all the rest. It was a very messed up situation. But we just saw God respond and God respond and God respond. And then sure enough, on Thursday night before the camp was over, we prayed for this one young lady in particular who was very asinine toward Christ and uh, just pray. God, just thrust somebody across this girl's path to lead her to you. And and we were really bold and specific about it. Like, we want someone to cross her path. We want it to happen now. And it was something that was only, that only a teenager would pray. And sure enough, when we were done with prayer on our way to the tabernacle for that evening service, she'd been wandering around like she did. The pastor was wandering around as he did, you know, because pastors do that. And They bumped into each other and he led her to Christ on the spot right as we were praying. It was amazing. The Bible teaches you pray and you pray and you pray. And just because you don't see results immediately, although graciously God lets us see results sometimes with immediacy, you don't quit. That's why when it comes to prayer, the emphasis in the Bible is to always pray and never stop. Jesus tells us this himself over in uh, Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells the story about a woman who begs for, to this judge for justice. He's a wicked judge. And eventually she gets justice. And the whole point of the parable is announced before Jesus tells the parable. Luke puts it like this in chapter 18. If I can find this. Uh, boy, my notes are all messed up. Yeah, here we go. Luke 18 verse 1. Then Jesus told a parable to show the disciples they should always pray and not give up. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a couple of other parables. A parable about a guy knocking on the door, won't quit. It's the middle of the night. And then there's this father who gives good gifts to his son because that's what fathers do. And Jesus' whole point in this was you keep praying and you don't quit. Pray without ceasing. The Apostle Paul, before our passage earlier in Colossians, gives us an example of this and says... He says, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we've not ceased praying for you. So when Paul gets to chapter 4, verse 2, and he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, this is not a throwaway verse. This isn't one of those things that Paul just says off the cuff because he's got to fill some space on a page to send it to some people or something and sound spiritual. This matters to Paul. Devote yourselves to prayer. This is how the early church did it. They prayed, and then they prayed again, and then they prayed again, and they prayed again some more. And when you devote yourself to prayer, two things happen, okay? Here's the characteristics or qualities of prayer. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It's real simple. It's right there. Being devoted to prayer means being watchful, and being devoted to prayer means being thankful, okay? Being watchful. What does that mean? That just means being tuned in. Okay, staying up through the watches of the night. You're not sleeping on this. You're not sleeping through this. Prayer is something that you're absolutely thoroughly, always 100% engaged in. Now, there's a contrast to this. That's sleeping on prayer. Remember when the disciples went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and they fell asleep and Jesus was like, couldn't you stay up for even an hour? That's the contrast. Sleeping through prayer or sleeping on prayer or, or just not even doing it at all. There's a perfect illustration of how we look at prayer now in, in, in Christianity as Christian consumers. It's prayer.com. How many of y'all have seen that advertised on TV? Prayer.com. Does that does that ring a bell? Here's the website or the, the homepage. Make prayer a priority. It's fantastic. Woo! All right. This is great. Then you read the tagline. I love this. Daily prayer and Bible stories to inspire, educate, and help you sleep. It's a sleep app. That's how they advertise it on TV. Nothing says prayer is a priority more than doing it at the end of the day with your eyes closed in bed while someone else is reading and praying so you can go to sleep. The good news is if the preaching job doesn't work out for me, I'll always I'll always have a job. It's fantastic. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus and the Apostle Paul... Never, ever, ever thought prayer is a replacement for melatonin or you know sleepy time tea in the evening. That's that's not what it is. Paul's like this does something. It has effects. It, it has power. Unfortunately, Christian consumers kind of look at it a little bit differently. In fact, we don't even notice this most of the time. But but there have been other people that have noticed this. Jim Stone wrote about uh, wrote this book entitled um, "Whatever Happened to Ordinary Christians." And he makes this observation that right now, for many Christians, prayer is just a filler. It's, it's the little thing you do at the beginning of a meeting and the end of the meeting, and somehow in between you just hope that God's going to bless whatever is bookended by the filler. Consequently, we'll go to prayer breakfast, men's prayer breakfast, or international prayer breakfast, or, you know, national day of prayer breakfast, whatever. And then there's a prayer at the beginning, and then a prayer at the end, and, and then a motivational speaker does his thing, and then we're done. Uh, that's not how it used to be. You may not have noticed this, but if you read through the Bible, you never see opening and closing prayers. Did you know that? You're not going to find it in the Old Testament. You're not going to find it in the New Testament. That, that didn't happen. Is that a bad thing? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But why did that not happen? Well, here's why. Because prayer was being watchful. Prayer was continuous. You, you were always doing it. Not just once a day. All the time. In 1982 Billy Graham gives a wonderful example of this. Billy Graham was asked by the Today show to come and do a, an interview on the Today show. And uh, the assistant producer, I think kindly, set aside a room at the studio for Billy Graham to pray. So when they got there, he said, "Well, you know, we have a room for you so you can pray before the interview." And the assistant told him that that uh, Mr. Graham would not be needing that room. And the assistant producer was a little bit befuddled. Well, why in the world would you have this internationally recognized evangelist that everyone around the globe understands and knows as a is a preacher and a pastor and a Christian? Why would he not pray before the TV show? And and the response from the assistant was essentially, listen, Mr. Graham woke up praying. He prayed this morning, he was praying while he was eating breakfast, he was praying in the car right over here, and I assure you, the whole time that he's being interviewed, he will be talking to God. That's how it was done. Prayer, being watchful, being tuned in, is always, even if other people don't necessarily notice it, God's always involved in the conversation, even if you don't notice that the other person is talking to God, it's still happening, because that's what it means to be watchful. You're, You're tuned in. It's constant. There's something else that's being encouraged here, not just the constancy and the being tuned in and, and being watchful and patient and staying at it, never quitting. There's something else here. Paul just says, be thankful. Praying, being devoted to prayer, being watchful, and also being thankful. Now, why is that so important? Well, there's lots of reasons it's important, but it's especially important when, when we're praying for people who do not yet know Jesus. And let me give you an example of this. This is from today's reading or today's devotion. You don't need to read this out loud. But I just want to give you day 25 from the prayer guide just to illustrate this. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then here's the prayer. Father, I long for Joe to ask this question, what must I do to be saved? Right now he is content to live apart from your love, but I know all that can change in a moment. How do you know that? Well, most of you, you've been changed. Awaken him to his need for the gospel. Give me the courage to call Joe to repentance and grant me the joy of seeing him baptized as a public testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. I know you forgive sins and give your Holy Spirit to all those who are saved. I pray he... Would connect to your church and be discipled to maturity following his conversion. Now, you know what happens when you pray the Bible like this? Here's what always happens, here's what should happen. As I'm praying this prayer, and as you're seeing this prayer, you're thinking, you know, I know he can change in a moment, and I know that these wonderful gifts that I've received forgiveness of sins, salvation, which also means healing, because it's not just that my relationship with the Father is healed and I get to heaven when I die. But my soul, my relationships, my body, and all of the environment of which I'm a part one day will completely be thoroughly healed and restored. All that is tied up in the word salvation, all that is tied up in the forgiveness of sins, including the presence of the Holy Spirit, God residing in my filthy body as a holy temple, all of that that I receive comes completely freely as a grace gift from God. The greatest things that I have, I absolutely Did not deserve, did not earn. To the contrary, I deserved none of it to no degree. And as I'm praying this, how can I not be thankful? And as you're thankful for what it is that you've received, you also recognize, how can I be thankful for these things? And then simultaneously continue to hoard the free gifts that I've received. There's something that does not fit with the gospel to take the gospel and hide it under a bushel. Like Jesus says, let your light shine. Don't hide it. You you share it. Otherwise, you're really not understanding the light. So we pray. Don't you see how praying constantly and praying thankfully changes things? It it certainly changes us. Now, I know the response that that comes from certain people, and it's going to be something like this because I've had these conversations. I just can't pray. I don't have it. I'm not a pray person or whatever. You can pray. No, I can't. Yes, you can. You just did. We just we just read the prayers. Well, that doesn't count. Of course it does. We pray the Lord's Prayer all the time. That's basically, you've read that prayer so many times that you've memorized it. It's the same thing. Does that mean it's not meaningful because you read it? Well, of course it's still meaningful. You can read a prayer and it could be your prayer. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just need to be trained. Listen, if you tell me that you need to be trained in order to learn how to pray, I'm not blaming you. I'll be blaming the church. We've done a terrible job as a church training people that they need more training. You don't. You can talk to a friend. You know how to do this. God's a friend. You can talk to him. It's not that hard. The reason that we want it to be harder or higher or holier or whatever than it actually is is because that kind of lets us off the hook. It's false humility. If it's too high and it's too holy and it's too hard, well, I just can't do it. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter how shameful or shabby or sinful you are. If I can do it, you can do it too because it's just about talking to a friend by the grace of Jesus Christ. You can pray. Paul says you need to pray and you need to do it constantly, and you need to do it thankfully. But Paul goes on and explains, not only should you be praying for you, you ought to be praying for other people around you along the same lines. And here's what he says in verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now when Paul writes this, he writes this from prison. If you're in prison and you're asking people to pray for you, and you know you don't deserve to be there, how do you tell people to pray? Let me out of here. Pray for the prison doors to fall off their hinges. And actually, that happened one time. The doors literally came off the jail in Philippi. Paul got out, and then he walked back in. You know why? Because for the apostle Paul, there were doors that were more important to be opened than the prison doors in which he found himself. So Paul prays for doors to be open. And he says, you need to pray for these doors to be open. You need to pray for the advance of the gospel. You need to pray that I proclaim it clearly. You need to pray that it's understood. Because the apostle Paul really believed that prayer made a difference. And you know what happened? The people that he said, just would you do this for me? Because like I'm an apostle. Could you just do this with me? They did it. And people prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And you know what happened? The Roman world was turned upside down. Christianity advanced in a in a, an amazing way under extraordinarily difficult circumstances and i have to say that the reason this happened is because people took paul seriously and they devoted themselves to prayer and they were watchful and they were thankful and things change. Because the Apostle Paul really, really believed in his heart there are doors that need to be opened and there's doors that are not going to be open unless we pray for them to be opened. There's going to be doors that are locked and they remain locked unless we pray. And people prayed. And he really believed that an unclear message could be made clear through prayer. And he really believed that a timid witness could become bold with prayer. And so the question that obviously begs to be asked is, what if we devoted ourselves similarly to prayer? What if, like in the early church, we prayed as the people prayed? What if we prayed for the gospel to advance and it did? What if we prayed for people to get saved and it happened? What if we prayed for this church to be used powerfully of God and then it actually happened? What if we prayed and then God did it? Now, that sounds kind of inspiring or encouraging to me, but here's what I know happens, that we get inspired and we get uninspired just about as quickly as we get inspired. And so let's just be really, really specific and practical about this so that we don't leave and do absolutely nothing, okay? What I'm asking, I'm not asking you to pick out 160 random names from the telephone book and call them up. What I'm asking you to do is have one person. One, not a hundred like Malachi. I'm not even asking you to to go knock on that door. One person for whom you can pray. Is there one person that is meaningful to you? A, A friend, a brother, a parent, a neighbor? A co-worker? Is there there one person in your life that you know doesn't know Jesus and they need him? Would you pray consistently for that one person? If you're willing to do that, here's what I'm doing. Because I do believe in prayer. I was telling somebody after the first service, I didn't mention this in the first service, but I remember there was one year in my ministry where people were praying as I've never seen prayer happen. And we baptized, not just children, which is wonderful, but we baptized at least one adult, one or two adults, every single Sunday for a year. And the church was a little bit smaller than this church is. And there was no mystery. I didn't preach better, they didn't sing better. It was, people were praying. It was that simple. If you're willing to pray for your one, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you and for your one as you're praying for your one every day. In the first service, we just had these sheets. It's like person praying and then the one or ones. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for your one. How long is this going to take? I don't know. If there's 20 names, I'll do 20 people and your one or two or three ones or whatever. Please don't give me 100 ones because I just can't. I I got limits. but if you've got your one or two or whatever, I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for your one every day. Because I believe that prayer makes a difference. And I don't know about you, but do you ever, do you ever feel like, you know, I wish, and you think about times in your life, was that camp experience or that year of your church life, or you just got filled at some point, and you just go, you know, I'd really like to see that probably whatever that was that you want to see again was absolutely soaked in prayer and in concern for the lost. This is not complicated. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There is no getting around it. There is nothing else. This is it. So let's, let's do it. We're going to pass these around in a moment. I want you to put your name on there. Don't do it if you're not going to do it. You know you should, but you can pray. Put your name on there and the person. And if you're at home, Send us your name and then the person. You could be his first name or just a letter. It's, we're not trying to muck around in your business. I just want to support you in prayer. I know that Brad is also wanting to do something along these lines with me in this regard. But let's pray for your one because I can guarantee you this. When you pray for your one, you are praying in accordance with God because he is so concerned about your one that he wasn't willing to just offer a word. He gave the living word who became flesh and died. God was willing to die for your one. In fact, he did it. You go to Luke chapter 15 and there's the parable of the one sheep and the one coin and the one son. And the whole point is God is concerned about your one. And we remember that in the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And so I think it's an entirely appropriate response to communion To say, I want to pray for my one. I can do... That is the least that I can do for the God who did everything that He could. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for the opportunity You give us to actually participate together with You in something that is actually quite exciting. And it's not just birth, which is exciting. It's rebirth. It's birth from above. And... um, you, you make it easy on us. You, you say pray. Even with your disciples who knew you, walked with you and talked with you and you taught them directly, you just started out by saying pray. And then they got sent, but you don't trick us because the power is in the prayer. So teach us to start where we actually already kind of are praying, just adjusting a little bit. And then when you do what you do, we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory because we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And without prayer, nothing works as it needs to. So, Lord, we give you our souls. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We give you this emphasis. And we trust you will do extraordinary things as we pray, not generally, but specifically And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to observe communion together.